Welcome to the May 24th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 1, verses 10 through 18, and the sermon is entitled, Seeing and Knowing God, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. Take your Bible out, turn it with me to the Gospel of John. We are still in the first chapter, and as we open God's Word, we know He's going to speak to us through it. Let's join together for just a moment of prayer. Our Father, our God, thank you for these moments of worship together, Lord. Thank you for the beautiful music and for the prayers from this place and for singing together, Lord. I pray that all of us are joined together in that sense and in that spirit of worship, whether we're here in the sanctuary, in a parking lot, listening to an FM signal, or at our homes on media, Lord. You're joining us together with the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, even though we might be separated out in the world, we are joined together as we worship together this day. Bless us with that sense of togetherness, Lord. Bless us to be the church, even in changing conditions of our society. Help us to know that we are still witnesses. We still have a message. We still have a ministry. And nothing will take us away from doing the ministry that you've given to us. Bless us today as we open your word, Lord. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're taking our first steps today. If you're visiting with us today, we are stepping through on a long journey through the Gospel of John in your New Testament. This book, of course, is written by the disciple John. Most of the 12 disciples died martyrs' deaths, and they were young men. But God allowed John the disciple, the apostle, to live into his latter years of life. And John came to the point of realizing that he needed, under the inspiration of God, to pen the biography of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, he joins Matthew, Mark, and Luke as all four of these men pen the biography of the Lord Jesus through their eyes and through their minds and through their hearts. But the Lord God led every pen of the writer, and that is certainly true for John the disciple. He writes this uh, gospel very late in his life. This is probably the last gospel to be written, written somewhere between 80 and 90 A.D., John's intention for this gospel was for it to be a witnessing tool. If you'll remember in John chapter 20, he says, I'm writing this so you might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He wants this to be a witnessing tool. We want to use this sermon series as a witnessing tool to bring any person to Jesus who needs him. Now, in the first two sermons, we've been studying the prologue of this gospel. The prologue is the opening statement of the gospel of John. It is John chapter 1 verses 1 through 18. This has been called the gospel in miniature. If every Bible on earth were lost, any person could come to Christ as Lord and Savior through the first 18 verses of the gospel of John. If you memorize any longer passage of scripture, this would be a great beginning for you to memorize. These 18 verses are enough of the Word of God to lead any person to the Lord, and we have studied verses 1 through 9 up to this point in the first two sermons of this series. Today, we're going to study through the end of the prologue of John, John chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. So as I start this sermon, let's read those verses together and hear how John continues to describe the life of Jesus the Christ in these 18 verses. Begin with verse 10, John chapter 1. John says this of Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. 
He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him. Remember, this is John the Baptist now, another John. John the Baptist bare witness of him and cried, saying, This is he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. May God add his blessing to the reading of this precious portion of his word, the prologue of John. To me, Verse 10 is one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. Look at that verse again, verse 10. Speaking about Jesus, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. The Bible throughout, especially here, makes the point very clear that Jesus the Christ is eternal in nature. Jesus does not have a starting point. Yes, Jesus had a birth date in Bethlehem, but he existed long, long eons before Bethlehem ever came. Jesus, in essence, really never had a birth date because he has existed within the Godhead for all eternity past, and he will for all eternity future. Jesus has always been. He was here during the creation. He was a part of the creative process. He is described as the Son of God, but we also need to reverse that title. He is God the Son, eternal in nature. God has eternally been. He has no beginning. That is a true description of Jesus the Son. Do you remember when Moses met God at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3? Moses is out on his common shepherding duties he is 80 years old. He's getting close to Social Security. He's getting ready to retire. He's looking forward to the rocking chair when he can leave the sheep and rest in life and not do much else. And then God appears. God comes to him in the form of a burning bush. The bush is not consumed, but the voice of God comes through that bush. And God calls Moses at 80 years old to a new purpose, to a new direction, to a new way of life. God commissioned Moses to go to Egypt and to be God's spokesman to Pharaoh, saying, let my people go, and bringing the people out of Egypt and out of slavery and out of their captivity. And if you remember, as Moses speaks to God in the burning bush, he does something that's quite unusual in my mind. He begins to question God. Well, all of us question God from time to time, I know, but when you're, when you're with him right there at the burning bush, it's kind of interesting that he would ask a question, but he does. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Now listen, God, if I go to the people of Israel in Egypt, 
And I say to them, God Almighty has sent me to be your deliverer. God Almighty has sent me to lead you out of this captivity of slavery in which you have been for centuries. The people of Israel are going to ask me a question. What is your God's name? If it is true that God has sent you to us, what is his name? So God, I'm asking you the question. What is your name? And God gives Moses that answer. God says, tell them my name is, I am that I am. That name expresses the eternality of God. I am, I have always been, I always will be. In fact, in Hebrew, if you were to to boil the Hebrew down in English, it comes down to four letters. J-H-W-H. It's called the Tetragrammaton. And we pronounce it Yahweh, the name of God that God gave to Moses at the bush. That name, I am that I am, expresses God's eternal nature. There was never a moment when God came into existence. He has always been. He is the eternal I am. I am alive. I am past, I am present, I am future, I am the creator, I am in control. And here's what you have to understand at the very base level. Jesus is the I am. In fact, as we study through the Gospel of John, you will study with me as we go through seven I am statements of Jesus as he expresses himself as part of the Godhead, part of the eternality of God. In John chapter 1, verse 10, John the gospel writer says, Jesus made the world. You see that in the second phrase of verse 10. Jesus made the world. Jesus is on the level of creator. He was part of the Godhead when the universe was spoken into existence. Remember, God simply spoke and it came to be. That's called creation ex nihilo. Out of nothingness comes creation. Jesus was there. And although we have a a rough birth date of Jesus uh, coming to the world as a human baby baby in Bethlehem, he merely stepped out of his, his eternal nature to come to us, to take on flesh, to be incarnate. Jesus, indeed, is eternal. He's always been. He always will be. You know, as I've said before, many religions of the world acknowledge Jesus. They acknowledge that he is a prophet, that he is a spokesman, that he is a witness of God in some way. But the Bible says, no, he's not a prophet, he's not a witness, he's not a spokesman. He is God. He's eternal. He is the God of glory. He laid aside his power. He laid aside his presence in heaven to come to us. Now, friends, this is important stuff. This is the theology that the Bible stands on that so many people have yet to grasp. So I want us to understand it as John explains it to us by the inspiration of God. Okay, now, as we move on, think of this. As we see this 10th verse of John's gospel, God the Creator is walking, physically walking amongst His creation. He has stepped out of glory. He's taken on flesh. And in flesh and bone, he is walking in the midst of his own creation. 
He knows every rock. It has an identity because he created it. He knows every flower. He knows the color of every bud before it blooms into flower because he created it. He knows the wings of the eagle. He knows the roll of the sea. He knows it all. And as we see on the Sea of Galilee, he can control it all when the sea was raging with the storm. And he said, be quiet, be still. And it became like a tabletop. He is in control of his creation. But while God, Jesus Christ, knew intimately his creation, I remind you of this. As he walked the soil of this earth, he knew every person who passed him. He knew that man or that woman or that boy or that girl intimately when they walked by him on those dusty roads. He knew their name. He knew their heart. He knew when they were carrying a load of guilt or a burden of sin on their shoulders. He knew them through and through. He knew their talent. He knew their potential. He knew every person who walked by him when he walked the roads of this earth. But what John chapter 1, verse 10 says is this. While Jesus intimately knew his creation and knew every person who walks by him and continues to know us today, he was a stranger to those who walked by him. While he knew every soul, the world knew him not. The world had not come to him. The creator is walking in the middle of his handiwork, but he's a stranger in his own land. He's a stranger in the midst of his own creation. The creation does not recognize the creator. That's what John 1.10 says. Sadder still, his very family of kinship, the Jews, Israel, don't know him as Savior, Messiah. Here we are 2,000 years later, and they've yet to know him as Savior. A little later in the gospel, John chapter 7, verse 5, Scripture says, not even his own physical brothers knew him. As he grew up in the home of Joseph and Mary, he had brothers with whom he played and ate and slept. And John 7, 5 says, not even his own physical, biological brothers knew him as Savior. Now, thankfully, we know by evidence of the book of James in our Bible that the, some brothers came to him. But there was a time when even his own family didn't know him, received him not. But in our world today, friends, while we see this description 2,000 years ago, it is still true today. There are so many, so many who don't know him. He knows every one of us intimately, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you carry in your life. He knows you and me intimately, through and through, cell by cell. But this verse is still true today. There are so many who have received him not, don't know him. John 1.11 says Jesus came to his own, his own creation, his own people, his own family, and they rejected him. They fail to recognize him. They would not receive him. They were too busy to take the time to know him. Still true today. All over our world, still true today. But here's the victory. Here's where the good news comes to this turning point. For every person who opens his or her eyes and sees Jesus as Savior, 
When that person comes to him and says, Lord, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are God the Son. And I want you to be my God, and I want you to be my Savior, and I want to walk with you, and I want to have this relationship with you. I don't want a religion. I want a relationship, Lord. I want to walk with you day by day. I want to recognize you. I I have seen your cross. I know there's an empty grave, and I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. For everyone who believes on his name, according to verse 12, we become sons and daughters of God himself. We become his own. We're born into the kingdom of God and blessed with eternal life and blessed with an eternal home and blessed with an eternal purpose that begins right now in our lives as a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you did not hear the sermon about John the Baptist last week, remember that the the word witness is a key word in this gospel. John the Baptist was the witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and John the gospel writer ties the bow at the end of this gospel by saying, not only was John the Baptist a witness, but so are you, believer. So am I, believers. We are witnesses of this Savior in our lives, and we carry that witness into the world as the church, as the outreach arm of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's what we are to do. Look at John chapter 1, verse 13. This is talking about now saved people, those who believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How did you and I, how did we get saved? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, how did you and I get saved? How did we come to this saving relationship with Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the God the Son? How did we pass from sin to forgiveness? How did we make the transition from death to eternal life? How did we pass from hell to heaven? How did that happen? How did we come to this eternal relationship with Jesus? Well, let's begin in the negative, as John does here. John says our relationship with Jesus did not come from our blood lineage kin to somebody who was already a believer in God. I have two children. But my son, my daughter, could never come to Jesus Christ because their daddy was a preacher. You don't follow anybody and their coattails getting into heaven. You make that decision one by one by one, and everyone has to make a personal decision. John says you don't come by lineage. You don't come by kinship because you were kin to somebody who was godly or that you came from a godly nation. It takes a decision. Our relationship of salvation does not come by the work or the will of the flesh. We did not work enough to produce the good works to earn our way into heaven. It cannot be done. You can't give enough money to the church or to ministry to pay your way into heaven. And I don't care if you're a trillionaire like Bill Gates. There's not enough money in the world to pay your way into heaven. It cannot, cannot be done. You can't work your way there. You can't pay your way there. You can't ethically live the life that's going to get you there. No matter how good you or I might think we are, it's not good enough to get you there. That's what the Bible says. Being a son or daughter of God is beyond our ability to merit it or to pay for it or to work hard enough or to be good enough to get there. That's what the Bible says. John says our salvation did not and could not come by the will of man or by any action of any man or woman. It is totally an act of grace and love. 
coming from God as we believe on Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. That is the one way to forgiveness, purpose, and heaven. It's the one way. Look at verse 14. John 1, 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John says we are forgiven and we are saved when we look upon Jesus, the Word, the Son of God, and we see His cross, and we see His empty tomb, and we accept His grace, and we accept His truth. Now, let me reverse those words, and let's look at those two words, grace and truth. Let's start with truth. What is the truth that Jesus reveals to us? Here's His truth. Listen, here's His truth. Every person is hopelessly lost in sin. That's the truth that Jesus teaches us. We all need a Savior. There's no such thing as good sinners, bad sinners. There's no such thing as a level of sin. Sin is sin is sin. All of us are sinners. All of us are lost. There's no division between murderers and people who are petty thieves and those who are just little white liars. There's no such thing as a good sinner and a bad sinner. We're all sinners, period. The, The ground is level at the front of the cross. We're all sinners, and that's what the Word of God teaches us. That's the truth. A lot of the world does not want to hear that truth. You know, in in the town of Amherst, there was floating around a bumper sticker. I haven't seen it for a while, but the bumper sticker caught my eye many times. I don't know how I got behind this car so many times other than God said, look, here's, here's what you're facing, Pastor. But this bumper sticker said, I was born the first time good enough. What's that bumper sticker saying? Many of the world will never understand it. I don't need a second birth. I don't need Jesus. I was born good the first time. But that is exactly what the Scripture is teaching us. No, we all need a second birth. No, we all need a Savior because all of us sin and all of us fall short of the glory of God. And a lot of people don't want to hear that. But listen to Jeremiah 17.9. Write that reference down. Jeremiah 17.9. Listen to these words. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God can know it. God does know it. All of us have a heart. And by definition of the Word of God and the prophet Jeremiah, all of us have a wicked heart. All of us have sin in us. And that's the raw truth of God, grace and truth. There's the truth. We all need a Savior because all of us sin. But then we come to the second word, grace. Jesus teaches us this. No matter who you are, or how deep your sea of sin is, how far you feel you're away from God, Jesus says, my grace is sufficient to save you. You have never gotten so far away from me that I can't reach you. You have not gotten so far away that I don't have a road paved for you to come back to me. That's my promise, says our Savior. I am ready to receive you. I want you as my daughter. I want you as my son. And I have the grace sufficient to forgive you and save you and bring you back to me and give you eternal life. My grace is sufficient for you. Somehow God alone 
can bundle up this mountain of my sin. Things I've said, things I've thought, things I've done, he can pull it all together, and through Jesus' power expressed through the cross and the empty tomb, God can pick up this mountain of sin, and he can bind it together, and he can pick it up in his might, and he can cast it away farther than the east is from the west in forgiving me and you. Whoever you are, you're not away from Jesus' forgiveness if you'll come to him. My friends, that's grace. Grace that's not simply available to a certain color of people or a certain kind of people or certain people who just attain this small level of sin. No, no, grace covers us all. Grace covers you, whoever you are, wherever you've been. Grace covers us. The truth is we're sinners, but the God of grace will save us if we'll come to him through Jesus the Son. Undeserved, unfathomable, unexplainable love comes to us through this God of grace. John 1, 15, 16 says John the Baptist was the witness who told us Jesus was coming. He was on the way. And from the moment Jesus was born in Bethlehem and the moment that he walked out of his grave, that earthly journey of Jesus, we saw the grace, we saw the love of God, we saw the face of God in Jesus the Christ. When Jesus took the children in his arms, we see God. When Jesus forgave the sinning woman, we see God. When he healed the sick, we see God. When he gave sight to the blind, we see God. We see the fullness of grace at the old rugged cross. Friends, I want you to know this, this is our photo album of what God looks like. Because in this we see the picture of Jesus. It's what God looks like. When we read Jesus' words, it's what God speaks like. That's why you need to keep this book not just close. Don't just put it under your pillow and think you're going to osmose the word of God. You need to read it. It needs to become a part of our hearts and our lives. Seeing Jesus here shows us what God is like. When Jesus says, Nicodemus, be born again, we hear God. When Jesus says, I'm the shepherd of the sheep, we understand God's heart. When Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, we understand God's power over death. When he says, it is finished from the cross, we understand the depth of his love. So John's huge point in this gospel, in these very few verses, is this. When you see and hear Jesus, you're directly seeing and hearing God. He is God, and he makes God known to us so we understand. And listen, this is, in crucial, this is crucial for every human being to hear. It's the simplest, plainest word of the Bible. If you do not know Jesus, you cannot know God. If you do not know Jesus, you cannot know God. It's the raw truth of Scripture. Jesus teaches us that. John's gospel teaches us that. For Buddha and Islam and Jehovah's Witnesses, I want you to know this is absolute truth coming from the very heart and mind and mouth of God. If you don't know Jesus, you can't know God. There's no other way to God the Father than through Jesus the Son. He is the way and the truth and the life. 
John nails that huge point down right here and over and over again in his gospel. You'll hear it over and over again as we go through this series. So as you hear this sermon today, and I'm almost done, can you say, I do know Jesus as my Savior? I'm not asking you if you're in church. I'm not asking you if you're good. I'm not asking you if you're just a minor sinner. I'm not asking you how ethical you are. Have you ever stolen? I'm not asking you any of that. I'm asking you, do you know, K-N-O-W, do you know Jesus in a relationship as your Savior? Can you say, I have felt the love of God poured on my heart? Can you say today, I have full forgiveness? Can you say today, I have a purpose for living. I know what God wants me to do in my life. He's given me purpose. Can we say today, I am sure of heaven. I have no doubt of my eternal home. Can you say that today? Can you say today, I am sold out and I am surrendered to the one who came for me. Jesus the Son, God the Son, I'm surrendered to him as my Savior. Everything I have and everything about my life belongs to him. Believer, can you say those things to him? The raw truth is that's what he expects of us as he gives us his grace. He wants the totality of our life. If you can say that, praise God. But listen, friends, if you have never said that, if you've never said that statement before of knowing Jesus, I want to bring you to him today. And this is the most important moment in this service for that one person who is lost, who is hell-bound, never knowing Jesus. This is so important. This is eternal good news. You've got to hear this. Congregation, I want you to pray for this little invitation right now. I want to introduce you to Jesus. He is God. He is love. And he holds in his hands and in his heart the ability to forgive you and to adopt you as son or daughter that belongs to the kingdom of God for all eternity. He wants you. I want you to listen. Listen to John 1, 12. Verse 12 again. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He wants every person as son or daughter. But you need to believe on his name. And you need to name him as your Savior. Come to him. Because the raw truth of the Scripture is, you need him. I need him too. And I came to the moment that I knew I needed him, and I gave my life to him. I'm praying and begging for you to do the same thing today, this moment. Don't put it off. You don't have to wait till you're better. You don't have to wait till you're a Bible scholar. Do it now. Do it today. Just as you are, come to Jesus as Savior. He wants you, and he can save you. And this moment, he can promise you heaven. If you just come to him and say, Lord Jesus, I believe. Will you come today? He's waiting. Church, God bless you. God bless his message to us that we serve the Son of God and God the Son. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, thank you for these verses of the Gospel of John. Lord, thank you that no man has ever seen God at any time, according to verse 18. But when we see Jesus, we see God. And amazingly, we have the literal album of his life 
in our Bibles right here on our laps today. I pray today, Lord, that we will come to know you in a deeper, deeper relationship day by day. Thank you for this day of worship, Lord. However, we've worshiped together. Thank you for it. Bless us as today we worship the Son of God, God the Son, Jesus Christ. Because in Him and in Him alone is life eternal. Bless that one who needs you as Savior today. I pray he or she can come just as they are and you will receive them in Jesus' name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.